Um, I, uh, I, I spent some time uh, doing labor negotiations in China. I'm sort of painfully aware of how difficult it is to get organized labor to agree to any kind of benefit modifications, mostly in the multi-employer arena. But what if going forward, I mean, you sort of basically say the problem is what it is, but if we have to, as Andrew suggested, at some point put some public dollars to shore it up, what if as the condition of that you basically say going forward you can't have people retire at 55 at 110% benefit. You can't have, you know, a ratio of uh, money going in and benefits going out. You know, I mean, you could construct about 10 or 15 conditions going forward for the unborn worker and say, this is, this is the quid pro quo for getting some kind of public bailout of these plans. I mean, is that a possibility? I think it's the very minimum that has to be done, absolutely. If there's any kind of government money that goes into it, there has to be these conditions. I also want to note that if you look at many of the pensions for the union officials, for the president, the treasurer, the vice president, these plans are fully funded at 100%. It's a different plan from the one that the rank and file has. There's also generally a third plan that's for the staff, for the people who work for the union bosses. And these are funded around 90, 95%. Union officials know how to fund pensions. They fund theirs very well. It's just the right of trial that is not funded properly. And the union dues that are being paid to fund the union boss's plan are, um, should be put to uh, better use. These union officials are basically abrogating their responsibility. And uh, something should happen with that also. It's not just saying that the, uh, that the um, rank and file has to make better contributions or that they have to retire later, but also these, uh, one should point the finger at these people who are responsible at the uh, union bosses for collecting big salaries and who have big plans that are fully funded. There were some restrictions back in the PPA, as it happened with the green, the yellow, and the red zone, which, but the problem we have now is the whole multi-employer pension system is upside down. There are more retirees, than we actually have participants coming into the program. So in and of itself, it's eventually going to collapse of its own way. I will say that in the Senate bill that came out, the tax extenders, the pension relief <coughs> for multi-employer pension plans would only apply to those that were uh, well-funded, above the 80% level, and that those other pension plans would not. So we'll see if that provision remains in any bill that comes out of the House on pension relief or whether or not that's stricken with any pension plans going on. I mean, one of the things that we did have, and, and, and this is controversial right now, is for those plans that do get that in the, the relief, uh, have a 30-year amortization level too, which may, some may consider to be too long a period of time. It was 15 at one time. Um, some have argued that if we go all the way back to ERISA, it was 40, but there are some protections, but we're definitely going forward. They're going to have to be some kind of making the red and yellow zones definitely more restrictive or find out how to deal with the system that's upside down when you have far more retirees than you have people coming into the system. Uh, just, I, I thought of this earlier, but I think just to give you a, a feel for the scale of how big the changes are going to have to be for the, the public sector plans. Uh, 
talked earlier about the standards used for, for private sector plans, where if you're funded at less than an 80% level, the plan is considered endangered. Of course, if it's less than 65%, is considered critical. There is not a, when you use market-based private sector accounting, you apply that to the state and local public sector plans, there is not a single plan that is not in the critical category. The average funding level using market-based accounting is 45%. 65% is critical, the average of the states is 45%. You are have to ask for very, very large changes. Some states like Alaska have shipped new, shifted new employees over to defined contribution plan. I think that's great if you think that's going to fix your problem. Well, if you've got a million dollar shortfall, shifting people to DC plans stops the bleeding, you still have a million dollar shortfall. One area where I think that really makes progress is that in some states, the contribution rates for the uh, employees and the employers are set based on the, the, so the actuarial accounting for the plans. If your unfunded liability is so-and-so, then you have to have a, a contribution rate to pay it down over a certain um, period. If you shift to market-based accounting that gets these deficits right, it will automatically create a pretty significant increase in contribution rates, both by the government and by the employees. The employees aren't too happy, but that might give the unions some reason to negotiate. States have very few levers to play with on here. The contribution rate is one of them, and I think they have to take as best advantage of it as they can. I'd like to say one more So talking about the defined contribution plans, if uh, you, as a condition of bailout, one made the defined pen, uh, benefit contributions going to defined contribution for the multi-employers, that would be a huge benefit. Because right now, the way these pension contracts are set up, a worker, a rank and file, of course, not a union boss, has to work for 40 years to get any benefit at all. So that ties them to working for that union. It stops their job mobility. They can't go, they don't want to go away and find any other job. So transforming it to a defined uh, contribution plan with some kind of lump sum, annuity, whatever it is, would immediately break up this job lock that these workers, that the firm or the union have on these workers. And that would be beneficial in itself. That should also be a condition of any kind of federal bailout. Yeah, I think the, uh, the lesson here is if you find yourself in a hole and you can't get out, the first thing to do is stop digging. Um, even though, uh, Andrew's right that you would still have uh, unfunded liabilities. If at least you know what those were. Uh, if there'd be some certainty to that liability, and you can go about you know, the best uh, way to resolve that. But you wouldn't be having the uncertainty of adding uh, many times over. So uh, we have, we Republicans have tried over the last few years to make the market for defined contribution plans more attractive to both employers and employees. And uh, we've made some progress, but uh, I agree with Andrew uh, and the statement he made, uh, I believe in his initial remarks, that uh, the best thing we can do as a society would be to shift from defined benefit plans to defined contribution plans. And that way, I, I know that, that some Democrats say, well, that's not fair to workers, to employees, because that shifts all the risk to them. That's right. Is that a bad thing, though? I mean, I'm, I have a defined benefit plan from the Congress. It's not very much, 
most of my retirement is expected to come from the thrift savings fund, the defined contribution plan. And I can tell you five years ago when I was diddling with the uh, calculator section of the thrift savings fund uh, website, uh, man, I was sitting pretty. And I said, this is going to be great. You know, I'm going to have a great big uh, pot here to, to deal with uh, in retirement. Uh, now I go back to the calculator and it says that I'm going to have to work a few more years uh, in order to enjoy that level of retirement that I thought I was going to be able to enjoy uh, much earlier. Is that shifting the risk to me? Yes. Is that fair? Yes. We're all in the same boat. We're all in the same society, in the same economy. We've all helped in one way or another to create what we have. Uh, so I don't think it's unfair for me to, to face reality and say, well, if I want to, to achieve that level of retirement that I hope for, I'm going to have to stay in the workforce for a few more years. So um, I think Andrew's exactly right. We're going to continue to uh, make as attractive as possible the conversion from defined benefit to defined contribution and let more individuals be responsible our collective retirements as a society. With that, I thank you all for coming. Uh, I'm going to thank the panelists once again and turn it back to uh, our uh, host, John Nelson.